It's amazing how much stuff he has. What a collection. <laughs> it is a big one. It's almost too much stuff. All kids love log. Tis the podcast log. Yes, log. Of the Star Wars Collector's Archive Blog. Oh. Whenever the Star Wars Collector's Archive publishes a new blog, this podcast will log its contents, interview its writers, and go deeper. It's the Kivecast Blog Log Pod. You, sir, are a mouthful. Relax and just take life easy for a little while. Because it's only lasts for a little while. All right, Steve. No fancy intros. It's the blog log mm-hmm. pod. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I I was trying to remember. I, I think this is the fourth one. Is that right? That uh, sounds about right. Fourth or fifth? I one of the two. <laughs> you think that we should know? Uh, we're going to be yeah. recording the entire episode with Fantastic Pete, our market watcher. Um, this is going to be like this great auction history. Like we're going to do our best to sort of try to do a a, a full story of high-end, high-profile Star Wars vintage auctions. Yeah, we could call it Profiles in Vintage History. <laughs> yes, you could, uh, which is a play on the term Profiles in History, which is an auction house, Steve. Yes. You have to explain it to our, our audience. They're, they're all idiots. Um, <laughs> if I seem like I'm in a funny mood, Steve, I, I, I think I might have mono. So. Oh, God. I don't know. I went to the doctor today. And I'm all tired, and I had blood taken, and my throat hurts. So, uh, oh no, <clears throat> we're gonna have to keep your energy up here. Yes, I just know that the second the episode's over, I'm gonna take some Nyquil and, and go to Betty Bed. <laughs> um, so this Good. is the basic idea, Steve. We're gonna we're gonna stay tight. Um, yes, there was an auction last month, uh, mm-hmm. the Hakes auction, and. It wasn't the first of these kinds of auctions, but I no, think it's important no. to note that really vintage Star Wars toys have only been handled by serious auction houses or have been given what I would call the auction house treatment, okay? Yeah. Um, so that is different than, a, than an, eBay, an eBay auction or uh, you know your sort of general next-door neighbor auction. It, right. It yeah. has a certain high level of cachet. And, and, I, I and think, publicity too, yeah. Yes, tons of publicity. Uh, if you've been paying attention to, uh, to Star Wars collecting at all in the last couple of months, you've seen hundreds of ads for this auction. And what I was thinking would be really interesting would be to really emphasize the fact that this is new. It's only been in the last couple of years that vintage Star Wars toys have been auction house worthy collectibles. Yeah. And right. in, in particular, nine years ago, there was an auction held at San Diego Comic Con. Yes. Called the Premier Collectible Auctions. Right. And this was supposed to be the first in a series. It was a high end auction. I think it was run by. Uh, by Brian Semling or... And Tom Derby, yeah, together. Right, yeah. And Tom Derby. So the two biggest names in vintage dealers, um, I would still put them at number one and number two in the history of the hobby um, in terms of volume and importance. And right, they got together yeah. and they did this thing and they put together this, this catalog, which we're going to talk about 
in detail. And, and they, they build it as the greatest toy auction on earth. <laughs> and as we will see, most of the important pieces went unsold. Right, yeah. And many of them sold for under what they were listed for right after the mm -hmm. auction. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the great auction houses of the world shrugged their shoulders and said, come back again, Star Wars, when you're real. <laughs> and sometime after 2012, that started happening. And so that's what we're going to be sort of, that's the, the narrative flow to this episode. We're going to be talking about yes. prices and we're going to be talking about money, which is interesting. But I think it's more interesting to follow how the hobby is, is developing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can tell I'm losing my voice, Steve, right? Because I'm hardly yeah, talking yeah. at all. <laughs> hey, it looks like we have Pete. We do. All right, great. Yeah. So uh, we are going to add him to the call right now. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hit this right here and see if Pete's on there. The the magic add button. Yes, the magic add button. Are you on there, Pete? Of course, that was way too cool, Steve. I've been really worried <laughs> lately that I have too much of a radio voice. I, I don't know. <laughs> Like, do I talk on the show the way I talk normally? Yes, I think you do. <laughs> okay, good. Because I don't want to be one of those guys, you know. <laughs> um, speaking of one of those guys, Pete's got a great radio voice. Um, <laughs> one of those guys. Oh. Is that him? That, that's him with this famous underwater microphone. Underwater <laughs> microphone? Really? Is it that bad? Uh, okay, Space Freaks, we're going to pause it and come back with Pete on the other side. <laughs> Okay, so we're back here with Fratastic Pete. We figured out his microphone thing. It's partly because of his voice. It's, it's just too smooth for our human ears to hear. <laughs> it, it, it drives iguanas crazy, but humans can't hear it. How's it going, Pete? Awesome, man. How are you guys? Um, Doing good. <laughs> we're, we're excited because this is your time to shine, and we want to talk about your blog log about the, the Hakes auction. Um, but we thought we'd sort of go on a journey first. Now, have you paid attention to a lot of the uh, older auctions, Pete? Yeah, I mean, the ones that are out there, um, you know, the big ones that come to mind, um, I think it was, was it Celebration 3 or Celebration 4 where they did the LFL auction? That was Celebration um, 4, yeah. Right. So, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, so that was Lucasfilm selling off items from its archives. Right. Um, but that was like a silent auction, right, Steve? Yeah, what I remember, it was a silent auction, and it was to benefit a charity, if I remember right. Um, and I just remember, yeah, it was, I think it ran over the whole convention, and uh, it was just stuff from their, like, extra stock from their licensing archives that they were auctioning off for, um, it might have been Make-A-Wish, if I remember right. Right. Makes sense. And uh, I, I only know of the, the realized price of one item. Uh, I, got, <laughs> I got my Trilogo Emperor. I think I got it for 110 bucks, if I remember correctly. Um, I think I, uh, I think I got my B-wing pilot for like 35. Yeah, it's the one, it's the one I have in my collection. Yeah, and oh, that's awesome. It was weird because I almost got an AFA graded because they offered you a service where you could get it graded and have it say it came from that's, that's right. the Lucasfilm. Uh, and I actually regret not doing that because that would have been kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've got a couple pieces that I picked up from Brian a few years ago, just mint and sealed box stuff for my Jedi collection that I needed to fill in the blanks on, and um, a couple of them came from there. So it's just got the normal CIV from Derby on it, just basically saying it originated in the archives and stuff. But yeah, it is kind of a it's a cool little added touch. Yeah, and and part of the problem that we have is that Steve, how many? Oh, just so you know, Pete, I should let you know I've developed this term. Uh, what's the term, Steve? Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, auction house worthy. There you go. Right. <laughs> that, that the phenomena of vintage Star Wars toys being auction house worthy is relatively new. Um, and so talking about the old days, like I've never been to a Star Wars live auction like in my life. So No. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. we, we want to talk to you about it, but then we also want to kind of take a dive through the past. Um, which means as we're contractually obligated to do, Steve, we have to talk to two people every month. Who's that, Steve? <laughs> well, the first is, is Chris Trogulius, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then and then good old, I think he called him Ron Ron in the message. I don't know if that was a typo <laughs> or not, but. <laughs> did I? That's right. I did. Yeah. Ron Ron. Yeah. Ron Ron Ari Salvatore. Um, so we're on a little bit of a tight schedule here. So, for, so here's a, a fun idea just to set our palette straight. Um, as we kind of go throughout this, Pete, why don't you throw out one interesting item from the Hakes auction just to set people's brain in one space for 2017? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if I kind of look at the Hakes auctions and kind of taking all the different things that are going on in the hobby, all the trends, everybody being so focused on pre-production, being focused on both 3D and 2D on that side of the coin, um, I'm going to pick out... Um, the Lando Calrissian Power of the Force hand-cut proof card. Um, there's other auctions that are more worthy to talk about, but just to kind of kick things off and kind of look at one thing that's very cool, very unique, and you know, rare unto itself, that kind of stands on its own. You don't see many one-sided cut-from-proof sheets, um, proof cards, and this was one that really kind of, with a key figure like that or a key character like that, really kind of stood out against kind of the palette of everything else that was out there for this auction. All right, and what did that sell for? Fifty-seven seventeen. Okay, so almost yeah, no stupid games this this month. Uh, <laughs> just so you know, I, I've looked at all the prices and stuff. So yeah, okay, so almost six thousand dollars, which for a one of a kind, uh, borderline major character. Uh, yeah, that's uh, okay. But that's a good borderline. So let's call Chris Jorgulius because he's a busy man. Uh, he has to get back to fixing his uh, Christmas tree. Um, yeah. Um, and so I want to see if I can add him on to this call in that cool way that I do. All right. Well, we're here recording at the end of the world. Uh, it's taken <laughs> us about about ten minutes to get uh, Chris on the phone. Um, I don't know if you know this, Chris, but on my cell phone, it was before I started the podcast that I put in your name, <laughs> and and this is the way I spelled Jorgulius, G E O R G, O A I S U. Well, that that works. I guess there's nothing else close, so. No, there's nothing else close. So you are, as I predicted, working on your Christmas tree. Um, which is yes. ve very serious business down there. But we just want to talk to you a little bit about sort of interesting historical auctions. 
Um, we're going to get uh, Ron Ron on to talk about uh, the PCA auction. Um, and at some point, we want to talk about the Vegas auction, but I don't even know what the Vegas auction is. So can you at least tell us what it was? Uh, you know, I didn't know much about it at the time. I think it was around 1993. I think Todd Chamberlain went. Um, I don't know whose collection it was. I just know that there was a lot of Kenner store displays there. Um, I don't know where they held it, but um, I learned about it after it happened, like years after it happened, I think. So um, it was uh, just one of those after-the-fact things. So that's all I know. I don't know whose it was, like I said, but it was, I'm pretty sure it was like 93. Okay. Um, but there were some pretty epic epic uh vintage kenner store displays in that auction but i don't know if what else it had in it beyond that okay that's, that's what it's known there. for yeah so so that will stay steeped in legend um i don't think pete that this is the end of the big auctions we're going to have you on so we can tease the story of the vegas auction in the future um it last time getting todd chamberlain on the show just it just was so hard it just it took like <laughs> it was like the hardest thing we've ever had to do um so i just we'll do that we'll have to really prepare for that um so <clears throat> what's the sort of next big auction in in history after 93 then wow it was dead uh, for a while yeah that was sort of an odd thing i don't remember there being major like star wars things like Star Wars auctions. Um, in 2002, there was a um, one of the things they did for Celebration 2 was they, they organized an auction there. I don't know how really? much you know about that. No. Huh. Yeah. They, um, it was uh, sort of loosely affiliated with the collecting track. Um, David Gall was the auctioneer. You know what? Now that you, now that you mentioned that, I do remember that. I think I just stumbled in there and walked out not much later, but I remember David doing the the auctioneering. Huh. Yeah. So they put a thing out as on the I think on StarWars.com. They put out a request. You know, hey, we're gonna have this auction. Uh, basically, it was just like. Um, I guess it was affiliated with the collecting track, more or less. Gus would know for sure on, on that. Um, he, it must have been, because otherwise... Because it was really, um, you know, uh, they just put the word out to people, and said, hey, we're going to have this auction, you know, if you want to submit items, you could do that. And a lot of people, um, you know, had things that they wanted to put in there. Um, there was, um, I know... Hollywood heroes put in, um, there was artwork and, um, I think it was artwork for the power of the horse planetary maps. Those were there. There were some, um, unproduced doll outfits from Jane Abbott that, that they were brokering. Um, I remember John Kellerman put a set of the acrylic stars, the, uh, the crew gift stars, um, wow. there was more, there was, um, another Kenner employee that Jordan was repping. He put in some items and there were some other things, you know, it's funny cause that, that kind of stuff, I don't even know if it's documented anywhere. I would say that auction probably lasted about an hour and there must've been, I don't know, 
I would say 25 to 40 lots maybe. But I remember a lot of them, they they were worried about reserves and stuff and people didn't want to get left holding the the bag. And um, so a lot of things had like crazy high opening bids. So there was so much that just didn't sell. It would go up, they would throw out these numbers looking for bids and it was like, nope, (laughs) nope. Um, And now there was probably 50 people in the room, maybe. Um, I think it was in our, in the panel room now that I think about it. Um, But it was its own thing. And I remember one time, John Kellerman, after the fact, he was so mad because they sent 1099s out to people. So they had to pay taxes on their, (laughs) on their item, you know, and that he, he was so mad about that. Um, um, but that was, they only did that that one time. Um, uh, well, no, I take that back. So that was sort of like, uh, sort of like a calling all people, you know, to put things in the auction, but that was, well, it was 2002. So we jumped from 93 to 2002. Um, I don't, I can't remember any other auctions before then but i can't i think it was around 2005 that morphe's the auction company i think they're based out of pennsylvania they auctioned leonardo dicaprio's toy collection wait Mm. what i think that was around oh five wait really yeah yeah there was a catalog for there's a hardbound catalog uh the morphe's catalog yeah he was he was a collector of of some note mostly because oh my gosh leonardo dicaprio is collecting toys right? (laughs) right but you know, he wasn't like on message boards, or if he was, you, did, you know, he was doing it under right. some, you know. Yeah, he, he went under the name uh, Jake Repus. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was a real thing. Um, I think you know he bought most of his stuff through dealers and whatnot. But I remember he you know, decided to get out, so that was you know they were touting it as the Leonardo DiCaprio collection. He had, you know, most of the stuff was, you know, and this was sort of like sort of pre grading, you know, AFA really only really came onto the scene around celebration two ish. I think they, they had a booth set up and they were just sort of, you know, it was the one guy chip who formed the company and they were sort of there, like, you know, people weren't interested, you know, it, it didn't get a whole lot of uh, traction there um, early on like that. So DiCaprio stuff, you know, wasn't graded. Most of it was general condition and nothing great. Uh, but it was like G.I. Joe, Star Wars, He-Man, um, a lot of those 80s lines. Um, but that was sort of a, a big deal in terms of just like, like, you know, just chatter about it, like, oh, well, this collection. But I don't remember. There, there wasn't ever anything really spectacular in there. Right. It was just sort of like, oh, own, own a piece that used to be his. So, so that was '05 ish, I believe, and then I think the next big one I can remember was the, the Premier Collectibles Auction in right. San Diego in 2008, right? Uh, coinciding with Comic Con. So you, I think you're going to talk to Ron. Yes. Oh, oh, Pete, oh by the, way, by the way, Chris, we now call him Ron Ron. So <laughs> Ron Ron. That's his temporary okay. nickname. I, I, had, I, did, I did a typo earlier today, and we're, we're having fun <laughs> with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Ron, Ron, uh, can, and Pete can tell you about that. Um, uh, and that was, you know, Brian Simling and Tom Derby got together for that. So it was 2008. Um, 
2007. I'll back up a year. So that was the, the, the Lucasfilm auction, Celebrations 4 in L.A. Right. Where that, I was around that time that, in fact, I think it was Celebration, I want to say it was Celebration 3 and maybe even 2, or, I think it was 2. Lucasfilm was starting to clear out their marketing stuff, their, their archives that they had. I almost want to say it was, it was, it was celebration two or three. I, I'm sorry. I didn't do any prep on this. I should have, you know, sit down and write these things out, but, um, it's okay. They this, this is all the new lo-fi cave cast, like you said. So, all right, right. Nobody's <laughs> prepped or anything, but they brought uh truckloads of books from their warehouse to Indianapolis. Um, and basically you could go in there with a, they gave you a bag and you could go through and fill the bag and leave. So it wasn't even an auction. It was sort of like Lucasfilm just letting stuff go. And mm. people were just really excited. And I remember with the one person, Duncan Jenkins, poor <laughs> Anne, who was passing me like this, because they had foreign editions of books. And, you know, uh, Duncan has to have one of yeah. everything in every size and every language. So he, he I don't know how many times he went through there to get stuff, but they were loaded. And, you know, books are the worst. You know, you're, you're <laughs> hauling them from the convention center to the hotel and then through the airport and home and all that. But they, so anyway, so that started Lucasfilm. So they gave, you know, all that stuff away. And I think they, that must have been Celebration 3. I think Celebration 2, they, they, they donated all those Ewoks. Yeah, some the cells, cells you know, the slides, yeah. and we or those animation cells. So we right. gave those away to the collecting track, and people were in there just piles and piles of those because yep. they were going to get rid of them. And I think Gus, they, when Gus heard it, he's like, "Hey, just give them to us. You know, we'll, we'll hand them out." So wait, so, um, so I'm starting to see an interesting narrative here that I didn't really piece together because I remember Lucasfilm getting rid of their stuff because they did this weird thing where they gave away a ton of their excess licensed stuff to like yeah, Tuesday morning and Goodwill and these weird sort of like there. thrift store. Oh, you're going to get there. Right. So, the, oh. yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of leading up to them, them starting to like unload stuff at the at, conve- at Celebration. So oh, I Celebration 2, they were unloading all those slides. Okay. I think the net, that means Celebration 3 must have been the books. And then so Celebration 4 is about the time you're right. So they were trying to get rid of their, their marketing archives were just loaded up or their licensing archives just loaded with product. And about that time, you know, the explosion of episode one stuff on top of, you know, the old stuff they had, they just had too much product. So all these samples they've gotten. And you're right. So they initially had given it away. It worked with some company to like, donate things to charity they ended up in like thrift stores in berkeley i think it was in berkeley yes i i, I went there i i bought a oh a, you went there okay. I, went, I bought like a weird um i bought a jar jar tie um and <laughs> and a, a a frisbee and uh i've since destroyed both of them but i remember seeing pictures much later of duncan there like the same day i went i didn't know who he was back then and so it's it really funny because he basically bought the entire store Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, it was this really weird thing of like my brother, you know, Lobart was like, hey, Sky, uh, Lucasfilm is emptying the archives uh, at, at this thrift store. I was like, yeah, wait, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was it was an odd thing. And they also so that place also sort of cherry picked some of the good stuff. I remember um, 
they put things on eBay also, and I remember them selling full single color sets of the UP figures, hmm. the, the little mini really? um, one piece. Yeah, um, you could buy a whole envelope full. You know, they weren't going cheap, but it was like holy crap! They, you know, you never saw these things before, and all of a sudden you could get the whole set in one color. You know. And they put those, and I, I think it was at least three or four different auctions. You know, like an orange set and a blue set, and what. But um, so those were, and those were initially there, and those went through eBay, and um, got to collectors that way. And then they, so that was that pre. I think that predated the um, the convention, which was uh, was that July oh seven. Yeah, two thousand seven. In the summer, so then they brought things officially, and they had an official charity auction at Celebration in a big auditorium. They had things on display, and they really cherry picked the better stuff there. There was a lot of vintage product. Uh, they were they brought in glass showcases, and they were on display, and you could you know um, review all these things and figure out you know you know kind of what you wanted to bid on you know by the time so when the auction came through you'd already seen them you know they have a view as a regular viewing and you know they just bring stuff on the stage and walk it through and, and people were you know just with your paddle you had your little number you registered mm-hmm. the bid and you know you buy buying stuff and i remember you know like sonic lance beater and lots of box ships i think there was sand crawlers in there was some spanish um big spanish colorful plush ewoks um lots of stuff there were carded figures there was a lot of vintage product and i remember when tom derby was sitting in front of me and he was like he basically hold his paddle up and was like <laughs> he would constantly win lots because he had guys that were just going to pay him so much more for you know the the items but it was a it was an open auction and it was a big auditorium and there was tons of empty seats in there but, you know, that, that auditorium held hundreds. It would have held hundreds of people, but there weren't nearly that many people in attendance. It was pretty sparse. Um, but they, yeah, and I don't know. There's probably people that took photos of those displays, and I may have photos of this place, but many um, uh, showcases were, it wasn't in the room. I think it was, out, it was outside more around sort of like a little bit off to the side of the main floor so that you could review all that stuff. But anyway, so that was part of them getting rid of their, their license, um, those, those archives. And then somehow related to, I don't know how it ended up, but there was a, a little town outside of, near Petaluma, in fact, because we were out there visiting Steve Sansui, and they're like, oh, he's, and we went to, it was Windsor, and it was like this old building that had like old plumbing supplies in it. Um, okay. It was sort of like an old factory building almost in, a, in like a warehouse uh, area. And, um, you know, and not, not like a large city warehouse area, but more like country warehouse, small area. And there was, these, I remember going up the front, like all these bicycles are out front, and they had this banner, like I think it was like a Taco Bell banner or something strung across the front. And you went in there, and this was like old pipe fittings and stuff. But then there's like boxes and boxes of episode one stuff and all this stuff kind of spread all around and i remember you know it was like hanging from um shelves and then things stuck on shelves and and just tons and tons and tons of episode one product but i do remember a bunch of vintage model kits in there and, and some like um older vintage era books 
and stuff. All Star Wars, all from their stuff. But as you as you sort of snaked your way around, how they had it all laid out. I remember one, get to one point there was like old medical supplies in there, like walkers and like um, <laughs> like bedpans and stuff. I'm like, what the heck? It's so weird. I definitely took photos of that place in there. But that was another sort of gold mine that Steve would go down there and shop, and Duncan Jenkins would come to town and go in there and shop. And that was still all related to those people that got the stuff originally from Lucasfilm. And mm. There was some bad blood in there. Like it was originally supposed to be given out for charity or sold for charity. But I think that kind of flopped. Um, I thought there was one point they talked about the idea of taking it to celebration, but I think, or maybe it was the second round of books, but they didn't want to do it at that point. Cause it was too expensive to, they didn't want to spend the money to truck all that stuff to uh, to the convention. So, um, I think that was the, that's probably when it was in Indianapolis again. So anyway, I started backtrack right there. Anyway, so there's your, there's sort of like segue of how Lucasfilm sort of slowly got into like seeding things at celebrations and it culminated with that auction. And then, you know, how some of that other stuff kept filtering out at the end. And, and I don't know how long that little place lasted at Windsor. It was sort of like a word of mouth, I'm um, had to know where it was. It wasn't like to drive by. Um, but, I mean, it was open. You could just walk in there and, you know, buy stuff. So, um, well, so, so this is great anyway. because we had you to come on to talk about a specific auction. And we haven't even gotten to yeah, that no, auction yet. No. This is this – is, uh, <laughs> got there. I don't even know what year. So that's – I bet to – I don't know what year I bet up to right now with that Windsor thing. That was 2007. So maybe it was 2008-ish. 2007, we went there. Um, and then fast forward, yeah, another cause, auction. Because what, what we really so I'm supposed to talk about the Boba Fisher auction. That was 2011. Right. So, so uh, this surprised me. I thought the Boba Fisher there. auction must have been a long, long time ago because Boba Fisher is this, this mythic figure. We've talked about him a little bit, but can you just do a sort of quick intro again on him, Chris? Yeah, so his name was Robert Fisher, and it went by Bob, and then he signed his, he did artwork, um, he, was, he was a pretty good artist, and he signed his stuff, he went by Bob, so he'd write Bob with a small A, so it said Boba. Before we get back to the rest of Chris's explanation of who Boba Fisher was, let's hear David Johnson and Peggy Finnegan from a news report from 1990, describing the second largest collection in the world. Special thanks to Xbox Fanatic for this uh, clip up on YouTube that looks like clicking on his thing. I think that's I think that's Chris Botkins. Not sure. Is that you in that little picture, Chris? Anyways, whoever Xbox Fanatic is, thank you for uh, for putting up this uh, this image oh actually and if you go to xbox fanatic that's spelled with a ph there's also a good clip of the celebration six room sales but here is the news report on bob fisher well finally tonight has it really been that long it's been 13 years since the movie star wars was released but for some the force is still with them that's right in tonight's edition of that's a large jack comes up with a prime example long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, namely Monroeville, Bob Fisher managed to accumulate what is acknowledged to be the second largest collection of Star Wars memorabilia in America. 
Bob won't put a price tag on what his enormous collection is worth. He says it's easily worth more than the rest of the house and his lot. Give me a good example of uh, how some of these things can appreciate in value. Like the tie bomber? <laughs> I think it was issued originally when my wife spent 11 or $12 on it. The price tag's still on the box. That uh, in the last toy shop edition, there was one in there for $750. Fisher has an especially large collection of a movie never made, The Revenge of the Jedi. Actually, the movie was made, but the title was changed to Return of the Jedi, but not before these items were turned out. It just doesn't stop. There's the bubble gum, unassembled models, plates, clothes, including slippers, socks, T-shirts, the masks, all the related record albums, even rare cards on the subject from other countries. If you met George Lucas, what would you say to him? Stick him up. <laughs> I met Celeste Large. That Boy. is amazing how much stuff he has. What a collection. It is a big one. It's almost too much stuff. And that's why everybody called him Boba Fisher, because mm -hmm. it was Bob with a little A. And he... Um, so he went back, you know, he was collecting, you know, he was an older collector back in the day in the, in the 80s, you know, and he had um, young kids and he was, you know, really into it himself. And they did, you know, he'd have Star Wars Halloween, um, Halloween stuff and Star Wars birthday parties for his kids. But he was also buying the thing himself. He's trying to sort of collect with them, but also collecting on his own. And, you know, just got really into it. You know, he was, like I said, he was, into, he was a good artist. And he was into doing artwork. I mean, in the early 90s, he, I, I don't know how they made the original connection. I don't remember, but he got in with Steve Denny pretty early on. And um, they did a lot of trading and sort of pen pals. And, with, you know, they'd videotape each other. They'd, video, they'd do walkthroughs of their collections and stuff. And then they'd trade videotapes back and forth. And a lot of the older collectors in, in those uh, early 90s, they, they did that kind of stuff. And he, um, you know, he was, he did uh, what's artwork. That? Is, is somebody like, uh, newsletters. Wait, is somebody eating? <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> Peter, are, are you eating over there? No, sorry. I'm moving stuff around on my desk. I'll oh, stop okay. moving stuff. I don't mind if you're moving stuff around. It just sound, it sounded like it was like, mm, pizza. Okay. Mm, pizza. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't like pizza eating. without Pete, right? Huh? Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, anyway. Okay, so so you so, were, you were saying that uh, uh, you so, were going back to Boba Fisher. Yeah, yeah. So he did he did his his artwork graced the cover of many of Steve's uh, newsletters at the time when he'd send out his mailing lists, and then the cover art would be uh, by Boba. You know, and he he painted the inside of his he painted like furniture he had in his, his display cases and things and desks and things in his collector, and we painted them with these space. Um, scenes. Uh, he painted the walls, and he, um, you know, he's sort of famous. He had made up a, a, a frame for the, the 62 set, uh, 62 Power of the Force coins, and he had made another frame for droids and Ewoks. You know, he did a limited run of those. You know, maybe a, a dozen or twenty or so. You know, and and sold those to various people. You know, friends of his and stuff. Um, you know, really cheaply, but just to just to make something that people could use for displays. So he was sort of famous for that. So he was sort of like one of the last of the old school, older guys at right. at, at that point, because um, other guys at that point, you know, Steve Denny had sold most of his stuff, and um, 
Walter Steuben, who I think Ron's talked to you about in the past. You know, he was a prolific collector in the in the 80s as well. And, you know, he had since sold uh, his stuff off. And there was a, another collecting couple in Virginia, the Mitchells, and they had divorced and split up and their stuff had sold off. And so, um, you know, uh, uh, among those guys that used to do their little trading and their pen paling stuff, Bo, um, Bobo was sort of the, one of the last ones. Um, he passed away and uh, he probably passed away like a couple of years before, but in the years before that, when he was, you know, in his later years in life, you know, he, other collectors, you know, had, had befriended him and stuff. And, you know, they, you know, bought quite a bit from him, but, um, after he passed, his kids decided to, you know, auction to have to auction off his, the rest of the collection. Cause you know, it's, it's a lot of stuff for anybody to deal with. It's it's bad enough even for the collector to deal with themselves, you know. Yes. They all you know, <laughs> know what it's like to have that kind of baggage, even with, you know, a, a modest size collection. But you start getting into just like when you're trying to collect, collect everything, you know, when you're indiscriminate and you're buying, and it's like, oh, my gosh. So it adds up quickly. So they had the auction and worked with some – Small company. He lived in Pittsburgh, or right, at, or in that Pittsburgh area. So they worked with a a, a little company there that um, put on the auction. You know, they advertised it online, but they were very explicit. Like they weren't going to really take. They weren't going to do mail order, but at, at the beginning, they were sort of entertaining the idea of taking bids on items. But then they had no way to fulfill that, so that ended up getting scrubbed and basically you had to go to pittsburgh i think it was a clary uh, clarion hotel and show up and they had rented you know this big ballroom and there was just table after table just loaded with stuff and it, it spanned all eras you know um he collected right up until he passed so um you know, st- stuff up through at least 20, 2009, I think. I forget if he passed one or two years before that auction. So it was some pretty new product in there as well as old product, you know, and he was, you know, there was some custom stuff here and there, but just like he had lots of dioramas in his house and they basically right. took all the dioramas apart and you could go, they had the, these little tray lots. So these little cardboard trays and they would just, you know, you'd bid on a tray and it was to be filled with random stuff. So, before the auction, you know, you can go through and, and, you know, you can take notes on stuff and say, oh, you know, lot number, whatever, you know, you can put some notes like, oh, I'm going to bid on this. It's got this and this in it. Or, you know, you take notes on condition. But people, you know, a lot of people came around, but it was right when Hurricane Sandy hit. So the New York guys, none of those guys made it because they, they, they were dealing with weather. So they didn't want to drive out or fly out. Um but a lot of guys from the Ohio um, club came, um, the D.C. club and the Pennsylvania club. Those are the biggest ones. Um, I flew up and Elling and Hogan and Ross Cuddy flew in from Canada. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some people in there. But that's the general makeup. So then, um, And then otherwise... Um, if there were other collectors, I didn't know them that well, uh, but then there was just, you know, regular, you know, local fans and things that, that had heard about it that, that came. But it was an all-day affair, you know, and, and, you know, they sold 
you know, lot after lot. I mean, you, you know, the, I think they had a break in the middle. But, you know, he, it was like, I remember James Simpkins was sitting like behind me, and he bought so much Sigma ceramic stuff. It was unbelievable. He had a giant. <laughs> and when you'd win, they, they'd walk out with the item and say, oh, lot number whatever. But if you'd walk back and forth, you'd bid on it. And if you won, they'd just go hand it to you. Oh, no. And then <laughs> had this mountain of stuff around him, you know. There was, like this, there was enough seats everybody could kind of spread out. Um, a bunch of us were, you know, I said, I was on the front row, so I could see um, better. And, um, and, but, but really, yeah, or people could start a pile in some corner or whatever, you know. It was very loose um, as far as, you know, rules and, and, and whatnot. But pretty much it was one of those things, like, you needed to be there if you were going to get anything, you know. And did, did you go home with anything? Yeah, I bought a few things. I bought uh, one of the things I really liked was we had a a it was sort of like homemade foam core poster. Oh, it was like a display. It was for when they were doing the um, the touring. So when the Darth Vader would come to malls and stuff during the yeah. Empire or, uh-huh. or Empire, um, he had one for the. The the, Phila, uh, the uh, Pittsburgh area, and it announces that yeah, Darth Vader is going to be at the store, blah blah blah. And the photos, it was like they gave away like this factor's photo of Darth Vader, and that was, um, you know, you'd get that signed. But there was one of those as part of the display, it was sort of embedded in there. It was, you know, sort of homemade but looked decent. It was, you know, printed and, and all that. And I liked that enough because I, I saw that tour when I was a, a kid, and it came to my local mall. The photos they gave away at my mall were not the same as the ones that, that they gave away in the huh. Pittsburgh area because they were mine wasn't that factors. It was like a I had like a black and white bust of Darth Vader. You know, they signed it Vader, and um, I got that. Um, some of the best things I got that I I bought his photo album. Um, it had tons of photos. Um, it wasn't just photo. It was like photo and like a scrapbook. Right. And yeah. Um, you know, there were there were letters in there that he had written to Steve Danny and Steve Sansweet and, and and stuff and photos from his kids' birthday parties and whatnot and I, and I was surprised that those things were in there like the kids didn't want them but I sort of heard later on that the Star Wars collection was actually sort of a dividing line between these kids and himself because he spent so much time on it huh. that he was sort of like neglecting being a dad. Oh no. And, um, he did spend a lot I've of time like, with all, all these, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, you know, with, with the, with setting up dioramas and doing the artwork and stuff. And I bought his inventory, which, um, which was amazing. I mean, the guy had great penmanship. I think he was a drafter and he had like on, you know, on yellow legal pad rule paper. Like he like did the equivalent of like a, an Excel inventory, but it's all handwritten. You know, or if there was pictures that he cut out of a, um, a catalog or something, he'd put pictures of things and, you know, use those as, like, the, right, the description decided, or, or he'd just make out lists of things. And, you know, he would note, you know, if he had everything on it, or, like, he'd put X, you know, he'd write them all out, and he'd put X's beside the ones he had, and it was very meticulous. He'd write down what he paid for things, and it was all, like, perfectly handwritten, you know, block lettering, and just it was huge. This is like a three-inch thick binder, and and I went back and forth with a guy we were bidding, bidding, and then I was. It turned out <laughs> I ended up winning it, but it turned out it was like a local 
Philadelphia, uh, I keep saying Philadelphia, Pittsburgh area dealer. Yeah, same thing. That had sold him a ton of stuff <laughs> over the years and really worked with him on his collection. He was pretty bummed. He was like, why do you want this thing? I'm like, you know, I just really respect the guy. And I just think it's a really interesting piece of history here. And so that's cool. So got I mean, that and then the yeah. scrapbook and stuff. So, and they got all this, when I mentioned before about the videotapes, you know, when they would trade for their collections, they got about a dozen of those from different collectors. Because mm-hmm. I was going through it, I was like, oh my gosh, I know who all these people are. And, you know, it, it's really kind of boring stuff. Um, <laughs> we actually, after the fact, we went to Bill Cable's house, a bunch of us, and we, we popped some of those in and watched them. But I think at the time, Sharon, my wife, who's my wife now, you know, we about two years into dating. You know, she's been cool with everything. It was always cool with everything. You know, she'd been to, uh, uh, I think it was Celebration at that point and some other stuff but she was like looking at us like we were crazy because you're watching like there's like no I think maybe there was Star Wars music you know dubbed in on it but it was right. just like a videotape and, and it's like sort of handheld and they'd like show show an item on a shelf and then hit pause and switch the item out and hit record and then <laughs> it just go from item to item or they do a like slow pan across items to show what they got. Um, sometimes Steve Denny would talk and he would narrate it. But uh, well, anyway, well, it well, was Chris, we watched that. I, I, I did yeah. put out the open call about five months ago saying, if anybody has any of those tapes, I will pay to get them digitized. Yeah, yeah I remember. Are, are you and not I, interested in doing that? You I don't want to share I summarily forgot and I'm like, eh. I know people have bugged me about it before. They're like, oh. But I'm yeah. saying I'll pay for it. Like you don't have to do anything. Like I'll do all the work. But like I think that stuff has intrinsic value to it because it's this yeah. pre-internet time and everything that's pre-internet sure. is interesting. Um, so anyways, we'll I, talk later. Because I know because Ellie's been bugging me. I'm not trying like, to buy something from your collection, like Chris. So it could coffee. happen. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, so I don't. I keep. I, I ramble a lot. Um, but anyway, the. Um, so, you know, just like lot after lot after lot. There was tons of books, tons of modern. I was staggering. I was, I was genuinely shocked at the, the prices that the post, you know, 2002 era toys were going for. I mean, over retail price. And I thought for sure when I walked in, I was like, they're going to take a bath on all this stuff. And they didn't. You know, we actually made money on stuff that he bought. So, um and I think a lot of that sold to people who just like came because it was cool Star Wars stuff, and there was just a room full of Star Wars items. And um, yeah, there was, and there were some people bidding on the phone with friends of theirs. I remember Todd Chamberlain had called in. I think he, Martin was bidding on some stuff for him. And um, but yeah, it was. I can't. I don't know how many tables full of items it had. If it was just like a regular eight foot table, like you'd see at a toy show. There were probably, I don't know, 30 of those tables. Um, they brought his furniture in, which I thought was really cool, that hand-painted furniture, uh, like shelves. There was a desk, a couple of different display cases, um, very cool painting with, with like, um, you know, like galaxies and stuff on them and planets and things, really neat. Um, those all sold. They were really cool, but it was like, you know, there was, you'd, have to have, you know, you'd have to have a car there to get it out. Um, I think it would have done better, you know, if, if they had somehow had online bidding. So they sort of didn't do as well as they could have, but it was great because if you were there, 
then you know you you had final say on you know what you're bidding on and how much you want to pay and there was no secrets you know so right um well, it was great it was really amazing to see all that stuff and they literally at the end you know they were whittling it down and whittling it down and whittling things down and when it was over it was like every table was empty i mean um yeah it was it was pretty epic well, and uh, sort of like the last you know, one of the big old school collections, you were there to see it sort of getting dispersed. Yeah, you know, and I, I think as I'm all constantly trying to shove narrative onto random events, um, <laughs> but like the fact that it was 2011, so it's the year before 2012 and Disney buys Star Wars, and it's like, you know, 2008, they tried to do the big fancy auction house and it didn't work, and it's 2017 now, and Pete will tell us all about how it works just fine, thank you. Um, and, and so like, this is like the funky donkey auction, just like of the, one of the great sort of Mount Rushmore of old time collectors, you know, um, you'd, he'd be up there and just the, the idea that it was sold in a Marriott and sold like this, there's a, a kind of beauty to it, um, that, that does make it seem like it was sort of the last of its kind, like sort of the last time Star Wars could be kind of funky uh and and sold in an empty ballroom i don't know Steve, yeah am i going too far no <laughs> i mean you've even posed some crazier narrative arcs okay. <laughs> before so i think that one makes some sense <laughs> um now now chris speaking um because we do have to get on to ron and to talk about uh pca and and this is supposed to be pete's episode of shine and i don't think he's oh yet. wait a minute no there was another giant auction it was in baltimore area you should call bill will that was like two three years ago a lot of guys showed up for that i didn't go to that but it was like general toys this guy who was like you know in his 80s or something and he was either getting rid of it or he had passed there was a massive massive toy auction vintage toy auction again it's but it's one of those things it's like if you're dealing with a company they don't want to deal with online bidding then your 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 whole crew your 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 audience is whoever's going to show up live Right. Um, and that was one of the things that the Dewey Shoemate auction, that was 2015. Um, he was a Kenner guy and, you know, he was, uh, the auctioneer that was, or the, the real estate, the estate sale company that was, that was, that he was working with, you know, they had listed some of this property and they mentioned it on auction zip and, um, word got around and that, that there was some estate sale coming up and it was some Kenner employee. And I remember calling the guy up, Max Webster was his name that ran the auction, and we were talking about some of the things he had. And I said, you know, this is a state sale. Are you going to do anything online? He's like, no. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to fly in. He's like, what? You're going to fly here for this thing? I said, yeah, yeah. So, so we talked numerous times after that, and I said, you know, if you really want to help this guy out, you need to do an online auction. So that was one where it would have been a local thing, and I know – if the Ohio locals had, you know, if the word hadn't gotten around, it would have been an Ohio thing. Guys like the Limcools and Bill Wills and stuff would have had some, you know, word of mouth local and gone up there and scored some things. But for the estate broker, you know, he did well by the family because he got word out and, you know, he did it through the site highbid.com. But basically it was, uh, you know, online bids at that point. People worldwide were bidding. So prices were. Right, really pretty strong. I felt pretty strong at the time. I think they made like you know in excess of like sixty thousand dollars 
where, you know, if he would have just sold those at some estate sale, if nobody would have known about it, he sold them in a estate sale, you know, he may have pulled in a few hundred dollars, you know, because right. people wouldn't have really known what the stuff was. So it really matters. Um, I think, you know, there, there's a there's a time and a place for auctions, but I think it also matters. Um, you got to get things in front of the audience, and your audience isn't necessary. Your audience is never who's standing in that room. You know, you're never going to get all the good, all, all your core hardcore bidders um, with it being like in a specific geographic location. You have to do things online, take online bids, take phone bids. You know, and, and you see that, like, with the recent Hakes auction, you know, they promoted the heck out of that. And it's they're having a live uh, – I think it's a live auction, and it was, you know, phone, internet bids. And most bigger auction houses are doing that, you know. Some of them, you'll see the items on eBay. You know, it's on eBay, it's on iCollector, it's on their own site. You know, they're, they're, they've got all the avenues open. Right. Taking bids from out, from everywhere, so uh. awesome. Well, well, Chris, I think we need to get to Ron, or else he's going to get grumpy and or fall asleep and or both. Um, <laughs> All right. Did All did right. did you want to hype that thing that you're going to be doing in the near future, or are you going to not want? To talk uh, about yeah, that? in the future. In I'm, the future. I mean, because that that would narratively it would be nice to end it with you saying that you're going to be doing. It would a new be, but as like I said, it was just. But you're not ready. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, but soon. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, then, in that case, uh, I might even have to take out that little oblique reference, um, in which case people <laughs> will just hear me saying oblique reference. Yeah. It pro- probably. Yes. When, when dealing with <laughs> Christian Julius, silence is golden. Um, so yeah, yeah. awesome. Well, thank you for telling us about about what what was it? Four auctions I'd never heard of, Steve. <laughs> So, it was so, a lot more than we originally thought. So it's, it's always good. Something like that. Yeah, it was up there. Okay, so before we finally let Pete actually speak and talk about uh, Hakes and Nigel, Nigo? Um, okay. Nigo. Uh, <laughs> Chris Jagiosa. Um, <laughs> we're going to have to go back to the first great failed auction house, Chub- uh, Chewbacca. Star Wars auction with PCA with Ron R.A., Ron Ron Salvatore. Uh, so uh, good night to you, Chris. And when we come back from the break, we'll be talking to Ron Ron. talking about the 2008 premier collectible auction and what was it that you just said so i think i mean the the main point of what i was trying to kind of convey there is that that auction in itself is just i mean it's a once in a lifetime type of situation it's so special in so many ways and even all three rounds of these Hakes auctions combined are going to, you know, sum up to what that one auction was in itself in terms of the breadth and the depth and just the overall uniqueness of the event itself. So that's kind of, um, you know, I'm really excited to hear Ron's take on this and, you know, somebody who saw some of this stuff firsthand or dealt with it firsthand, because for some reason, this auction, I was collecting pretty heavily in 2008 and it missed me and a lot of the star Wars community. And I think it's because it was done at Comic-Con, right. um, which at the end of the day, there's a lot of crossover, but there's not always crossover. Um, so that's one of those things that, um, is always interesting about this is not a lot of people that I know actually went, 
Right. And I would have gone. I had this terrible thing where I was in Celebration Europe. I was in California for Celebration Europe, and I was in Europe for San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, <laughs> and and yeah. so I, I missed both of those things. And uh, I remember this auction was going to happen, but at the time, uh, the prices were just ridiculous, Steve. I mm-hmm. mean, seriously, yeah. think about this asking price. This is the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard, okay? <laughs> this is the starting bid, okay? The starting bid for a double telescope and Luke Skywalker AFA-85 was $7,000. Isn't that just the craziest <laughs> thing you've ever heard, Steve? Absolutely insane. <laughs> I mean, who could possibly afford that? Steve, I mean, they, are, they have the audacity to offer original hand-drawn droids art when the starting bid is almost $4,000, Steve. It's <laughs> just out of control. Just <laughs> grotesque. Um, so... Yeah, we're, we're going to get Ron to talk about that and what it was like. Um, but I just wanted to get a little bit hyped because I, this is one of my favorite items in my whole collection is the Premier Collectible Auctions catalog. Yeah, um, right. Now, i got to find that Leonardo DiCaprio catalog. Um, <laughs> that's got to be interesting. <laughs> For sure. And actually, one more thing I wanted to say. Uh, Pete, are you good starting the, the auction house on the archive? <laughs> yeah, I can definitely look at it. We can figure out some place to house it and, and have some type of central area with that because these are special events. Right. You know, they only come around every couple of years typically, and and uh, it, it's a different breed all unto itself. So, so the auction house, which we'll have to come up with a better name for it, is yeah. going to be a centralized hub on the Star Wars Collector's Archive, provided that the you know that Gus and everyone agrees. Um, but the idea would be you would have like collected realized prices, you would have scanned catalogs, um, you would just sort of be like a history of the Star Wars auction, which is basically what we're doing on the podcast today, but this would be it in internet form. Right. So if you think that's a good idea, email Pete at Pete.fitzykeyfantastic at gmail dot dot coms. Um <laughs> dot org. Dot org. <laughs> Yeah. So let's get Ron on here. He's probably uh, excited to talk to us about this, uh, although Ron usually uh, voices excitement by sounding like he's not excited. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see. Um, through the magic of the add button, as Steve calls it, I'm going to hit add. I'm going to take another bite of my dull banana. It's a good thick banana, you know. The last when I, I got good it from Trader, I got it from Trader Joe's and Trader Joe's has the worst produce. Even their bananas aren't good. You know this is from Wegmans. <laughs> it's a Wegmans banana. It's girthy. It's good. Is uh, is Ron there? We're we're talking, Ron. I don't know what you think about it, but about having Pete work on uh, creating some kind of like centralized history of the Star Wars auction somewhere on the archive. Um, oh really? What do you That'd think? Be cool. Yeah, it'd be cool, right? Sure, why not? Yeah. It'd be another great thing on the archive that it seems that nobody cares about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, probably. It's disappear into the ether. Speaking of which, let's keep going with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ron, so we're, talking, on? we're talking about the premier collectible auctions. It was called the greatest toy auction on Earth. And very few was people... It? Yes, that was its official tagline. Very few people okay. actually went there, and you, Ron Ron, were one of them. So, so tell us about it. 
Uh, yeah, the premier. That was that's what the title was. Premier collectible auction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess we usually right. just call it the San Diego auction, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, I can't remember. It was. I mean, Tom Derby ran it basically. Uh, it was. Yeah, it was 2008, summer of eight, um, in San Diego during Comic Con. And really, that was the main reason I went to Comic-Con that year. That was the only time I ever went, uh, just to see this auction. It took place, like, um, days after Celebration Japan. So I didn't go to that, because that's dumb. <laughs> I went to this auction. And then, uh, but Chris Jergulius went to Japan, and, like, Fluffy went. And then those guys flew, I think they flew directly from Japan to San Diego. So they were on like the second leg of their whole thing, and I met up with them out there. You know, I can't remember. I don't think Todd Chamberlain was there. I'm pretty sure he wasn't there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty cool. It was over a couple of days at least, two or three days, and it wasn't just Star Wars. So it was like GI Joe. I remember there was Ghostbuster stuff, all sorts of toy lines there. Uh, right. And it was. I, I mean, it's crazy stuff like original. Uh, Transformers art. So if you remember yeah. what, it, what it, you know, the awesome art on Transformers, they had the original art for that. I mean, I'm just looking, I'm leaking through it now. This is the first time I've ever seen graded uh, video games for sale. Hmm. That was the first time I remember seeing that too. I, mean, I remember being astonished at how the values on those things, because I'd never really thought about that before. Uh, yeah. But it was, I think Tom sort of intended it to be like, a giant toy auction and also sort of a kickoff to like a new phase of his business or something. And it was a good idea, but he couldn't get, like, I guess it, to get in the convention center itself, there's all these, you have to pull a bunch of strings and stuff, and he couldn't get that. So it was down the street. It was like a few blocks away. So that was one setback. And, you know, and, and then the question is, how do you advertise it? You know, it's like then toy nerds knew about it. But um, if you were just some random dude who was out at San Diego, you wouldn't necessarily know about it. I mean, if you were just there to see whatever, you know, how would you know that down the road was this toy auction? And were you interested enough to go down there? Like, you pretty much had to be into it to go. So that was kind of an Achilles heel to the whole thing, I guess. So I remember the first day, it started. Plus, the other thing is it started in the morning. San Diego is kind of like partying, you know, so... People are up late drinking, and this thing started. It must have been at eight thirty or nine in the morning, and I just remember the first day. The only, literally, the only two people sitting there were Chris and I. Sitting there, I'm not even exaggerating. I don't think there was anybody else there, and so and they're sitting there auctioning these things. And the ladies, they had an auctioneer who's who's you know reading out the names of the stuff and. You know, taking going once, going twice, and there's no one there. <laughs> and so, um, the bids were coming in on the phone or, or or through the internet. So people were bidding on things, but it was like just <laughs> actually in the room. There was nothing going on. Um, but it was set up super nice, and it was like really beautifully presented. So it was just this whole, you know, upper floor of a you know a building that they rented out. Everything was in acrylic, and that was pretty rare at the time to see everything i think they had every toy just about graded in an acrylic so i mean it was yeah. i think it was todd Martino's collection basically 
Yep, he was selling exactly. it because he was the book was coming out, and he, <laughs> that was the. I had a, I, I did a whole bunch of video. I have a whole video I made of the whole thing. I could send you. Yeah. And, uh, I, I talked to Todd, and he was. I was like, "Why are you selling your collection?" He's like, "Well, I'm moving on to the book, you know." There, there so is in the his, in the catalog there is an ad for the book. Now we don't talk a lot about the book um, because. At least I don't like disparaging people trying to do interesting things in the hobby. Um, so he gets this. Yeah, I like Todd. I'm a supporter of Todd and his book, so I don't have yeah. any negative things to say. But at that time, we were supposedly getting the book pretty soon. So that you know, and that was a while back. So, right. so I think that was part of his rationale for selling it. Um, so I mean, he had a great collection. So there was just everything you'd want to see. All I, I don't remember exactly what was there. Like someone was, oh, did they have this? Like I don't remember. But it was. Pretty much the whole line, all in acrylic. Right. Uh, and then all the other lines, too, you know, like He-Man and all this other stuff. But there was a ton of Star Wars. And then there were some super rarities, like Robert Levine, who was the owner. I think he still owns it, of the carded rocket-firing Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had that up for auction. Uh, but I don't think that nobody bid on it. No, yeah, that uh, was the opening bid was 100 k on that. So that's okay. a, a Star Wars... Carded, Boba Fett. Uh, yeah, and and that was a, a toy. Which fair came sample, from right Eric Janicki a few years earlier, you know. Um, and then I think Robert also had there was like an Italian store display that was a cardboard fold up Jabba's palace. Yeah, that thing was oh. in there, and that thing was sweet. Yeah, and that was really all nice. Like, uh, it was really nice. Yeah, I don't think that went anywhere either. Um, I don't think. But a lot of stuff didn't really get bids. So it was just kind of like the big things just came and went without getting any bids. Tom Nyheisel, like what was left of his his stuff, including like a lot of the droids and Ewoks, like card art paintings. Right. And none of those got bids at the opening bids. Whatever they were, they right. just kind of passed. Yeah, we, we, we were saying that. Yeah. Basically, two thousand seven hundred dollars could have got you almost any droids and Ewoks art, and they just weren't bid on. Um, no, I don't think that's true. What was the what were the minimum bids? Well, if they were if they were unproduced, there were more. But like like low gray, as an example, was three thousand seven hundred five hundred. Wicket original art was three thousand seven hundred five hundred. Um, Bondo was seven thousand. Uh, Shitter mm-hmm. was seven thousand. Morag was seven thousand. Oh. I guess, but I mean, yeah, they didn't get any bids. Uh, the big action was on the A-wing art, which Gus mm-hmm. Lopez won. I mean, and I think it was like twenty-something thousand, and that at the time was like, holy cow! But now it that was like twenty-one, twenty-one thousand. Yeah, I just remember being like, oh my god, <laughs> like that. I, that's something that it seemed to set a new standard for what people would pay for stuff. But now it seems like. You know, Gus was pretty smart, you know, obviously, because now it doesn't seem like that much. But um, also the 12-back art of, like, the land speeder and the, the TIE fighter and stuff, I think Gus won that, although he split it with someone, and that went really high, too. Um, so that was yeah, where that the big for, action was on those two things. Yeah, that went for 41000 a lot with the TIE fighter, the X-Wing, and the land speeder. Okay. Yeah. So, so if you're picturing the back of a 12-back figure, there's little drawings, and they won the original art of that drawing. 
um, and mm-hmm. and the double telescoping and a telescoping lightsaber as well. Right. Right. So yeah, they, they essentially got you know ten thousand dollars a piece, which is uh, still a steal. And and did the original Anakin Skywalker art go up too? Ah, I think it did. I can't. Did Gus get that? I can't remember now. Huh, I it, just don't know if that sold or not because it's it's listed here as an opening bid of fifteen thousand. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at my yeah. video. I can't remember. I mean, it, Gus. My memory is that really the only big pieces like that that were won were ones that Gus won in the auction. Okay. I don't remember any other ones really selling. So all the Nihazel stuff was at the end was just kind of like nothing got bid on and it was just still sitting there that like the last day of the show um, when they were breaking everything down. <laughs> it, what, what, what do you think, Pete? I mean, when, when you, do you have the, uh, do you have the catalog in front of you or, or do you have it? Yeah, I've got yeah. the catalog and then I've got the results too. I mean, and the catalog is where I kind of measure like where I call it one of the best, you know, we'll ever see, if not the best we'll ever see just in terms of breadth and depth and Ron touched on it. It's not just star Wars. It's, so many different lines that were up and listed there, but um, you know, getting to the Star Wars stuff, he's right. It, it was a couple, you know, big five-figure purchases, I guess, in this case by Gus. Um, there are one or two others, I think, but not anywhere near what um, Gus dropped on those couple. Um, and the, a lot of the stuff just didn't go anywhere. But I mean, looking at the prices and looking at the breadth of some of the stuff that went um, in the Star Wars category, it's just pretty amazing. I mean, so many different, like, one-of-a-kind or probably two- or three-of-a-kind pieces, the big proof sheets, and all that stuff went for really good prices and, you know, the mid-$500 to $1,000 range. Let's give a couple examples, Pete, if you can. Yeah, so... um, one really big one. So a Cromelin of the Falcon, and actually I'd have to pull it up in the catalog just to make sure this isn't a Cromelin of the back of it because I know I saw something along those lines in here. Um, actually, let's just move on to something that's a little bit more concrete. Um, um, so the proof sheet for Return of the Jedi for the ADAT, so the big proof sheet, gigantic, 25 by 35, Went for 650 bucks. There's maybe a pair, three of them out there that I know of. But then again, if the black hole collectors, maybe there's five or six total. But pretty rare piece, really big piece, really nice piece. Um, you know, something that would easily sell in the $3,000 range today to the right collector, probably 2500 on an average day. Right. But, I mean, so many pieces from the Revenge line, box flats and stuff, um, a couple Revenge box flats, the INT4 and the MTV7, both going for 375 probably close to $1,000 pieces today to the right collector, 800 on a, you know, an average day and stuff. So, you know, some appreciation over time, a lot of appreciation over time on some of the other stuff, but... Um, when you start to factor in the artwork and all the stuff that didn't sell, um, and the fact that a lot of those things, you know, would be such a bargain today, it's it just kind of bites you. It's like you'll never see all those pieces together like that because it was the completeness of everything production-wise, the adding in of some really really rare stuff, and then you had you know just to sprinkle on it like a hundred pieces that were probably you know anywhere from that four to five of a kind range. Um, so it, it's pretty incredible to look at this and see it and see how well the catalog was put together too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a good, it's a great catalog. I mean, you could just, you could just go through, I mean, uh, uh, unsold rocket fat 
uh, for ten thousand. Um, a sold Rocket Fat AFA eighty five for eleven five, which even back then was cheap, right? I mean, they were already going for fifteen or sixteen in two thousand and eight, weren't oh, they? I don't know if that's true. I mean, oh, okay. If they were going for fifteen or sixteen, I don't think it would have sold for only eleven. I mean, someone would have bid on it. But, okay. I mean, it yeah, but definitely still. wasn't anything like it is now. Um, and then even some weird props and stuff like the the Chewbacca's teeth. Uh, sold for two thousand dollars. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. Um, there was Indiana Jones's boxer shorts, Harrison Ford's <laughs> boxer shorts. I think that was from Fluffy, and that didn't get bid on. There's there just a lot of weird stuff in there. Um, I remember a lot of stuff like the Ghostbusters fearsome flush figure, like getting bid up really high. And I remember the the GI Joe USS flag going up to like twelve grand. Um, which seemed crazy at the time. Um, you know, there there was just a whole bunch of stuff that people went through. It was like a blur after a while, especially since there was nobody there. I mean, on the the best time, it was like, I would say, a, a quarter filled as far as the seats went, you know, and it was mostly people that you and I know. You know, there was very few random people there. Uh, but then the, the good action happened at the, the last day, you know, with a lot of the leftover Nyheisel stuff, Tom had called Tom Derby had called Tom Nyheisel, and uh, Tom Nyheisel agreed to sell some things direct that hadn't sold, and so people bought a lot of the the, the artwork stuff um, on the last day outside the auction itself. So, so yeah, that's was, that's what fascinates it, me. So it's the last day, the auction's over, and like, mm-hmm. so I mean, and you ended up with a piece this way, right? Yeah, I got the uh, Imperial Sniper artwork for, I think it was $3,000. Okay. Um, I didn't really go for George and Ewok's piece. just wasn't as keen. Um, the, the unproduced ones went for, I don't remember what it was, five or six or something like that. And a lot of those sold. You know, I remember John Alvarez sitting there on the phone trying to sell his bootleg collection to get up the money to buy a, one of those pieces. <laughs> um but you know, I wanted a movie line item, so I I always liked that body rig artwork. So I got that Imperial Sniper piece, um, and you know those prices were seemed like a good deal at the time. Obviously they were, but I mean, you're probably shaking your head and thinking how crazy. But at the same time, I mean, you have to remember Tom Nyhasel had had that stuff for a while, right? And it sat around. And then the auction was supposed to be like the big hurrah where it's like, well, well, it's now or never. We're gonna, I'm going to sell this stuff. And it was got like no bids. Like a lot of it just got nothing. And, you know, the, the movies were out of theaters. It was 2008. It seemed like things were in a downturn. So from Tom's perspective, well, I guess now or never, if people are willing to pay, I might as well unload some of these. Of course, nine years later, that seems like a bad idea. But at the time, it wasn't that... You know, right, yeah. It wasn't that crazy. Um, but so, yeah, I ended up with that, but I didn't bid on anything in the auction. Wow, so you sat there yes. for like three days and didn't bid? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't think I saw anybody bid. Chris, I remember Chris Nichols won a Bacano Jawa, which is ridiculous because he probably has 10 of them already. And then, I, and that was funny, I have a video of him sitting there. I was like, don't you have that? And he goes, yeah, I have, I have several. I was like, what the hell did you bid? Um, I remember... Shane Turgeon won 
some G.I. Joe item. I don't think anybody else who you're friends with bid on anything. It was just basically there, like, watching. Right. Uh, most of the action was on the phone, um, you know, or on through the Internet. So it was, it was just really weird. Like, it, I, you have to ask Tom how he feels, Tom Derby, about how he feels about the whole thing. But really, I'm not sure it made a lot of sense in the end. It was a good idea that didn't really pan out because – he could have probably just put it online and or he probably could have done just as well on eBay on some of that stuff or setting up his own auction and running it completely online because most of the action was from people who weren't in the room right um yeah you know and and really just even if you say like oh we're going to do this as an advertising and a display thing there i don't think there was enough people who visited that auction it was unfortunate because people didn't see how impressive how impressive it was it was a small group of people who saw it. It was, you know, but it was re- really cool. You know, I have, like I said, video and pictures I can send you. Yeah, I mean, if if you'd be comfortable with us uploading it to the Kivecast page, I mean, I I tried to get yeah. uh, I tried to get uh, Chris to agree to digitize all those old collector videos. Um, <laughs> that got. I think you can predict how far that got. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I can send you the video. I have it. Yeah, well, I think it's like be... a whole video of Comic Con. Yeah, it'd be fun. <coughs> um, well, but it... yeah, it was a really cool auction, and like like Pete said, probably the best we'll see of that kind of thing. And it's just unfortunate that one, we'll never see it again, probably, and two, at the time there just wasn't that many people there. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think it was tough too because I mean I'm sure that this was planned out, you know, a year, year and a half advance, and you have. You know, you get to the summer of 2008, and you're in the midst of the economic downturn as well. This is oh, really yeah, when, true. when the tide like started to turn with the hobby for two, three years, and everything completely reset itself. Um, you know, not just in Star Wars, but across all toy collecting and all collecting in general, when everything kind of went to hell. Yeah, I mean, that, there was a period between when did Rancho Obi Wan open? 2010. I think it was 2010. 2011. Yeah. In between like 2006 or seven and maybe 2011, it was like things were just seemed kind of like okay, well, Star Wars is kind of done, and in the doldrums, and you know, this stuff, stuff was still popular and worth money, but it didn't seem nobody realized that there was like an explosion imminent as far as that goes. I mean, I remember being at Rancho Obi Wan, and that's why I brought that up because I remember being there and talking about something, whether Star Wars is ever going to come back and debating whether Lucas's kids would, once he was not around, you know, release more movies. And, you know, at that point, yeah, I mean, maybe Star Wars would come back in 10, 15 years, but I, I certainly wasn't thinking, oh, The Force Awakens, Disney's going to buy it, The Force Awakens is going to come out, and there's going to be this, you know, giant boom in a few years, I didn't. I mean, nobody really foresaw that necessarily. <laughs> what the hell is that? What is happening? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm just playing with my porg that's on the table here while I'm recording. <laughs> Good God! You, you want another future Star Wars, gentlemen? Oh the sound God! Of the stop. future Star Wars. I, I will oh seriously kill you. <laughs> 
um, yeah, so I mean, that, that's kind of what the context of that auction, and it, it's just at the time it was not surprising that Nyhazel's stuff didn't really blow anyone's doors off because he'd he'd had it and it had been available for a while or it'd been semi-available at least and it hadn't really done anything at the prices he was asking. So I know now it seems like, oh, geez, I can't believe it. But at the time it was like, oh, yeah, well, here we go again with this stuff and it's still priced above what people want to pay. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, so it, it didn't surprise anyone. And then, you know, his agreeing to sell some things directly at slightly lower prices wasn't surprising either. It seemed like a, a logical thing to do. Um, yeah, so I like the piece I got. You know, it's it's hanging at my place. Yeah. And awesome. Well, I I think that that's enough of a prelude to finally allow uh, Pete to f- actually talk about these other auctions. <laughs> um, so thank- Are we sure? I, I like listening to Ron. Yeah, I know. Everyone likes listening to Ron. Uh, not really. Yeah, man, go for it. But, uh, yeah, that's my, um, story about the 2008 Premier Collectibles Auction. That's what it was called? Uh, yeah, PCA. Yeah, that could be a problem. It sounds like a fake, like, auction. (laughs) It's like, yeah, we're the Premier Collectible. Even their logo looks kind of like a little bit budget. Um. (laughs) Well, if you're a collector and and you have a interest in building a, a, a library of collecting resources that's a good catalog to hunt down uh, it's just I'm sure it's out there and uh, it's certainly a great resource so I would recommend finding that one hey speaking of which do you have the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, uh, catalog I don't think I have that one hmm. okay. to be honest I remember hearing about him selling his stuff I don't remember like actually browsing like an auction like I, I have no memory of that okay so but I do remember him being a collector and him selling his stuff there was also an auction of like a this like in the late 90s of like the all time Star Wars movie poster and theater display auction um which there was a catalog for I think it was called the Star Wars reference collection and it really? was just movie posters and standees and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I have that catalog. That was pretty cool. Um, so that's another one you can try to hunt down. But uh, you know, I don't. I didn't. I wasn't involved in that. I just have the catalog. Okay. Well, now, now I think it's time, Steve. We yes. can finally take the jump over what is clearly the divide. The 2012. <laughs> Is, I think we just now have to just just call that the cleavage date. Oh my Jesus, Steve! What is wrong with me? The cleavage date. Roll with uh, it. Yes, the cleavage date. Because you know, cleavage means like the separation between two sides, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank uh-huh. you. The the cleavage date between the massive and and bounding different sides of this cleavage. Um, you know, the pre-Disney and the post-Disney. So we're now talking to Fantastic Pete, who's been here the whole time. Tell us about, uh, give us a short, brief, two-hour history of, uh, of Star Wars auction house auctions since The Great Cleavage. Since 2012, there's, there hasn't been a ton that's been significantly different in the hobby. I mean, I think the biggest things are you have, you know, Sotheby's getting into it back in... Um, well, it's uh, 2015 or so um, with the return of Nego 
um, auction that went on. And that was, you know, an interesting event unto itself. You know, you had a high profile individual overseas, um, selling off here domestically. Um, but you know, globally at the same time, because Sotheby's is this global entity. So you had that, um, over the last, you know, eight years or so, you've had different auction houses and stuff like Vectus that have really put a lot of time and effort into it and have, you know, annual or semi-annual auctions. Um, but nothing quite to the extent of what you've seen at like a Sotheby's or what we saw here recently with Hanks. Um, I keep wanting to call him Hanks. I don't know why. I think Hanks just, just it doesn't roll off the tongue at the end of the day. <laughs> um, but, I mean, those guys, they, they put together a really interesting package. They marketed the hell out of this auction. I mean, I remember going to King County almost two years ago, year and a half ago, and they already had, you know, a presence there set up trying to sell the the auction, you know, the big pieces that they knew were going to be in there and everything, because they were still kind of working through all the details. Um, but they carried that through, you know, celebration. Um, I think it was James Gallo had the book at his booth to kind of pump that up. Um, and then you saw just flyers everywhere and a lot of um, social media through, you know, the various techniques that they use to market all the other things they do, because these guys do all kinds of, you know, I hate the term Americana, but collectibles, um, whether it's sports related, whether it's, you know, racing related, whether it's toy and comic book related, they do a little bit of everything. Um, and this was their first jump really into a really, really big toy heavy type of auction like this. Yes. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. I'm not used to me not talking, but uh, I, I, this is finally your time to shine, Pete. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, so, I mean, just kind of looking at it from kind of end to end and everything, it was a really interesting event unto itself. And, and the fact that they've split it up over three different auctions is very smart on their behalf because, you know, they'll get a lot more runway out of this. Um, but I think See, before I, I, I we... didn't even know that. So there's going to be three of these? Yeah, so this is the first of three. So what they did is, I mean, across all of these, if you can, let's just say compared to like some of these other auctions, like um, the original Nego auction um, with Sotheby's way back in the day. I don't even think we've touched on it, and I'd have to do some research, but it was the one Stephen actually shot over to us today via IM. Um, that particular one, you know, you had a full set of the three packs and right. all these really, really high-end pieces. Um, this is going to have a set of the three packs, but it's going to be broken up over three different auctions. It's going to have all three double telescopings, but it's going to be one at each auction. Mm -hmm. So, um, they'll run this through basically 2018 and they'll continue kind of the marketing campaign that they've been doing with it and kind of, you know, pumping up their style of of auction, which, you know, bears just a second to kind of pause on because as we're talking about all these other auctions that have taken place, a lot of these are live auctions, with people bidding on the phone, bidding online, bidding in person, this Hakes auction actually was not a live auction in the traditional sense in terms of function, in that there wasn't anybody there, you know, bidding live. It was all done online. Um, it was all done. I, I think they have a phone number. I'd have to double check. Um, it's just such it, kind of an archaic process. I, I, you know, I don't know a lot of people that use that versus the internet at this point in time, especially when they have a good interface like what Hakes does. But um, the other side of, of how they're different is that bidding can progress in terms of that ending time, the closer and closer it gets to, um, you know, that last 
that last um, bid time, which was supposed to be noon the day of the actual auction. Well, if somebody comes in at 11.55 and drops another bid on an item, they extend it out another three hours. Um, and that creates oh, kind man. of a... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's an interesting dynamic, and I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on this too. Because if I'm really going after something, it just irritates the hell out of me because I might have to watch that for like 12 hours straight. I think they have a cutoff um, sometime that evening where they won't take any more bids, period. Um, but there is that chance that something that's supposed to end at noon could get strung out another, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours or something right. like that. Yeah. So I wonder, like for for some of these crazy ones that you've listed in your blog post, like the the double telescoping Ben Kenobi. So there was a carded one of those that sold for seventy six thousand dollars, <laughs> and that was the big ticket thing for for this first part. But I wonder, like, how long that was drawn out with with the way that the the format worked. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head how far this went out. This one went past the 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 uh, set time needless yeah. to say you know this it, that happened with almost all of the real high test stuff that was out there um but you know this got drug out a few hours i know at least but you know amazing piece you don't see them very often but you know then you go back to like the uh, pca auction and i think that one sold there for like 15 or they were trying to sell one there for 15 and right. you just look at yeah. the appreciation over 10 years it's crazy Wait, a, a double telescoping uh, obi-wan yeah, I think the the PCA auction had all the, three of them there. Yeah, it says it went unsold for seven thousand. <laughs> so oh. unsold at seven thousand. Oh, it does say it was an AFA no grade. So oh. maybe hmm. that means it was. Maybe there's something odd about it. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's but, interesting. But but definitely a uh, Luke went for uh, sold AFA eighty five. Sold for seven. Huh. Um, yeah. So, yes. Yeah, and so we'll see, uh, you know, we'll see how the Luke does in one of the upcoming ones. We'll see how the Darth does in one of the upcoming ones. But, you know, they've done a lot promoting this. And I think um, after chatting with a couple of guys at the last Kane show and just kind of getting some feedback from them, they were really looking at this to kind of launch them in long term into doing a lot of toy auctions, um, especially in the Star Wars vein. They just haven't been able to really seal the deal with anybody before um, this guy came along. Uh, I think what's his name, Russell Branton. Right. Um, Who I've never heard of. Yeah, I neither. Either. I just, for some reason, I just think of Russell Brand. Is this yeah. Russell Brand's oh, Star Wars collection? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't presuppose an existence of a god if you can't be free to love yourself sexually. Oh. <laughs> hey, that Sorry. Was off the cuff. That was pretty good. That, right? Yeah, that was that was that was good. If you want. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this guy kind of came out of nowhere. Um, nobody really knew a lot about him or anything like that. And I know they've done some interviews. You can go check them out on their site and everything about him if you want to learn a little bit more about him and stuff. Um, I guess I just don't care. Um, <laughs> but just going through a lot of this stuff that went out there, there were a lot of good pieces this round. And then there's a lot of good pieces that we know are coming. You know, the big things that are really high focus are the three packs just because there's a full set and then the double telescoping stuff. Yeah. But, you know, underneath that, you had stuff like the Anakin Skywalker Dynacast that went for 35000 <sighs> Um You had a lot of, 
you know, other really low count items, um, you know, a 31 back stormtrooper ESB proof stormtroopers. I think everybody knows are extremely difficult to find any type of proofs of. Um, so wait, wait, why is that? Just overall, you know, and I'm looking at like the Jedi line specifically, um, there's only a few um, 65 backs known. A lot of them were used for mock-ups and stuff like that. Oh. So there's only a couple of those left. Um, the Revenge line, they're in line with everybody else. But then even on some of these ESB backs, you see lower counts of Stormtroopers than you do a lot of the other characters. Hmm. So you're saying back in 2015, when I was desperately trying to sell my Stormtrooper 21 back proof for $800, it's a good thing that I didn't? <laughs> yeah, I I would say that that's a good piece to be holding on to right now. <laughs> like I I literally could not sell two twenty one back proofs for two thousand dollars. There's an entire movie that was made about how yes. hard it was for me to raise two thousand dollars with four twenty one back proofs. I couldn't do it. That's because you had the crew with you. Nobody wanted you to actually fulfill your destiny. They just That's wanted true. the movie to keep going on. So. Yes. Thank, thank you very much. Um, now that we've brought this back to me. Um, <laughs> okay. So, um, so I didn't realize that this was a multiple stage. So now I feel bad because I feel like we're sort of like inadvertently advertising for it. Um, <laughs> but I, I, guess we, I guess that's okay if we do that. Um, yeah, it's okay. It's okay to pass on a little love. I mean, it's not like we're... Well, you know, no, 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 ooh. Pete. We're not passing on love. I don't love these people. I don't know these people. Okay? <laughs> One thing I know, Pete, people I love, I love you. I love Steve. I love Ron. I love people I know. All right? Like dealers and people who sell me stuff. I don't know if I love them. We can't just throw that word around, Pete. I guess we can't. <laughs> okay. um, general Publicity. support and, yes. and lack of unwillingness to create harm against or something. I I don't know. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing an interesting, you know, setup with this. And so it'll see how it goes long-term if they just kind of become the next Vectus and they just do like semi-annual stuff and whatever. But, um, you know, this was an interesting set. Um, You know, there's obviously one auction in particular that has stirred up a lot of discussion. I don't know how much we want to talk about it just because it's been talked to you to death. No, let's talk Um, about it because, Pete, this is the audio magazine, so people will want to know what people, everyone was talking about. That's very true. That's very true. Um, But there were a couple surprises in the auction. And and that's the thing that I think everybody needs to take into context. And, And I was going to bring it up when Ron was on before, too. An auction is a time and a place and an event, um, and because it's not the norm, because it's not how people get the majority of what they have in their collections, um, they're not always top of mind, and a lot of people miss them. They miss the marketing for them. They miss the date that they're coming out, um, You know, whereas eBay is like ingrained into a lot of the buyers' minds and that repetition of looking at that and, and, and all the signals that they'll send you to say, Hey, something's coming up, you know, there's an auction ending, whatever. There's a lot of eyes at one time on there and there's ease of accessibility. Um, on the auction houses side, it's not something they do every day in these categories. Um, you know, with some very, very rare exceptions, there's some that do it a couple times a year. So a lot of people aren't always looking at these auctions. And so you get just crazy low bids on stuff, but then you get crazy high bids too, because people just go nuts. Um, it's hard to really explain at the end of the day, some of the behavior that comes up, but it happens in almost every type of auction that you look at. If it's cars, if it's comic books, whatever, there's always that 
really crazy lunatic fringe type of bed that people put out there. And in this case, it was on condition um, more than anything else because it was just a Luke Skywalker 12 max Seaback, which you see, you know, you could go into eBay right now and find five to six of them in decent condition. But because this is a 95, it went for ridiculous money comparative to anything else that's ever come along. 50 grand. Um, and I did a couple comparisons on the article online kind of talking about how this compares to some other 95 mint on card auctions that have come along. And even when you compare it against other 95, which typically bring crazy money, um, for example, in this case, I, I looked at a Yoda 95 that sold this summer for, I think, like 500 or something like that. Let's actually go down and listen. Look, sorry, um, sold for two grand, which was a 4X lift over, um, you know, a normal everyday like AFA 85 Yoda. So if you look at that, and then you kind of look at it comparative to that Luke. It just it doesn't it it doesn't add up because that Luke is like a fifty x lift over what most twelve C Luke sell for in in high condition. So yeah, it, it, it's out there on its own. I don't know. What did you guys think when you saw the numbers? You know, I I, I mean, I didn't find it that. I can't say I found it that crazy because if. And you wrote it in your article pretty well about it being the most iconic figure and the best condition. And, yeah. And there, it's not just about a. I'm a little bit more sympathetic towards grade thinking, in cases like this where it truly is probably actually rare, like an AFA eighty five or whatever. I I don't think is rare. I just think some are graded and some are not. But like, mm-hmm. for it to be in this good condition and it appears to really be in that good condition. Like I understand the weird sort of semi-erotic jollies that you get with something that's in that good condition and to have it be that good of that figure. I mean, it's, you know, it's crazy. I, I'd, I'd rather buy photo art for that. And I, I'd, I'd rather buy 10, you know, I'd rather buy a, a full 12 back set in AFA 80, right? You could probably do that for mm-hmm. 50 grand. Um, but I don't know. I I don't. I wasn't. I don't even think I posted about it. I just sort of thought, oh yeah, that's that's crazy. How about you, Steve? Well, yeah. I I kind of I agree with you in the sense of like this is the the like the penultimate example of that figure in the sense at least like officially. Um, but yeah, I it's when Pete kind of broke down the 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 rate of increase with these other things that that's where it still kind of threw me off. Like it it is the top figure but is it really you know 50 times what you know a a slightly less nice one would go for i don't know that it's crazy it's it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to grapple with um especially like yeah yeah it blows my mind yeah i bet if the person who bought that tries to sell it in five years he could potentially double his money. And I, yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> you know, he could make more on his collection than I could make on selling my entire collection raised with, you know, that was bought with perspicacity and acuity and uh, lots of other <laughs> words. By the way, Steve, yeah. penul- penultimate means second to last, not ultimate. Oh, whoops. Just so you know. Um, Thanks. But um, I'm on fire today. Am I always such a jerk? Um, but uh, You know but, what I was getting at. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, 
you know, like it's the people who drop this kind of money that always end up making a big profit because there's other idiots like them. I mean, look, look at the rocket fet phenomena, you know, that's going to keep going up because people go, that's the thing to buy. And then they're going to buy it. And the next guy shows up who's got a little bit more money and says, that's the thing to buy. And then all of a sudden, if you bought a rocket fet for 30 grand right now, in five years, you might be looking smart. So I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the rarity of it, I mean, for people who actually, you know, we don't talk about it in these terms in a lot of cases because it just, it kind of hedges on a line, I think, that goes between hobby and investment. And that's more the investment that a lot of people put into their collections. And specifically, I mean, if you're going to invest in a collection, buying the absolute best quality of the most popular character is probably about the most common sense approach that you can actually take to getting into this um, because it showed up time and time again, whether it's, you know, early Superman comics or whatever, that's yeah. what people gravitate to. Um, and so I think that you're absolutely right. The people buying the rocket fest today, the people buying the high condition items like this, it's just going to continue to go up and up and up. If anything in the market has the ability to stay high, it's the rarest, highest demand, best condition items. Right. So, yeah, so I, I, I suppose I am not, uh, I'm not throwing my hands up and saying, oh, my God, think of the children. Uh, <laughs> but, but on the other hand, you know, the, 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 tele, the double telescoping Obi-Wan for 76, that seems pretty crazy to me. Um, you know, a, a Boba Fett trilogo, I don't care what color his knees are for $11,000. Um, you know, like those are the numbers that, that kind of drive me crazy. Yeah, um, or the, the mini rig that, that sold for 1500 you know, like that's, yeah. That, yeah. that does kind of make your head spin more than, you know, the Luke in, in terms of just like, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, what really caught my attention with the mini rig too is that I actually bought the box top. Um, sorry, box flat for that piece last year and paid several hundred less than what somebody paid for a production piece. Like, right, I, yeah. I couldn't believe yeah. it. Yeah, it's uh, well, Steve. This you haven't you haven't got to say it the whole episode, so go ahead. <laughs> oh man, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. Geez. Well, I this was uh, supposed to be a little blog log pod, but I think we turned it into something more interesting. Um, so I think next time we talk about Hakes, maybe we'll get Paul Chu on to talk about his auctions. Maybe we'll get Todd Chamberlain on to talk about uh, Vegas. Vegas. Uh, maybe yeah. we'll kind of start a little tradition here of of the history of auctions, and it'll coincide with me volunteering Pete to do all this work. <laughs> totally. Awesome. Board. Cool. Well, we don't have any official outro, so uh, is that just right, Steve? I just hit stop at a certain point. <laughs> I think so. Okay. 